0: Right,
1: let's do the first award. The
0: first award. Hour number three of VB in the middle on AM 680 WRK. We're going to talk some food this hour. We're going to talk a very interesting proposal or idea in the food world in California. But before we do any of that, we got to stay close at home. Today, as you well know, is January 17th, uh, 2020. On this date 70 years ago, Lightning, as it was called, the crime of the century, the the largest bank heist in the country at the time, the Brinks job. The Great Brinks Robbery happened here in Boston in the North End 70 years ago. Uh, one of the great books. I love this book, Lightning. I, I've read it for the third time now as I was preparing for this interview. It's called The Crime of the Century, How the Brinks Robbers Stole Millions and the Hearts of Boston. Stephanie Shoro is the author of that book, and she joins us right now on the WRKL Listener Line. Hey, Stephanie.
1: Hey, B.B., how are you doing over there?
0: I have talked to you before on this very date about this very robbery, and I always enjoy these conversations because... Oh, thank you. I know we live in a hyperbole world, and everything's the greatest or the biggest or the craziest, but the Brinks job was all of that in
1: 1950. In 1950, it certainly was. It uh, it, it literally... made headlines around the world. It wasn't just in the U.S., it wasn't just in New England. Uh, people from all over the world were fascinated by it and were trying to solve it. Uh, the, the Boston police got letters from Japan, China, a lot of people from England. It's a lot of armchair detectives in, in England, apparently, so they were all trying to solve it. So.
0: One of the things that always sticks out, and as I was rereading your book again this week, you have a really good line in it which in your introduction which is that Bostonians have always admired, achieve, admired achievement. It doesn't mean that achievement <laughs> has to be on the level either. Like we do like achievement on a holy smokes. And and this was the case in 1950. People thought I'm not going to say that these guys were heroes, but they were really rooting for these guys.
1: Well, they were. They were they were folk heroes to a lot of people because um Remember, this was a very um, uh, bad economic times in Boston. And to think of having a million dollars, I mean that was real money in those days. So uh, they were picturing themselves, what would I do if I had all that money? And besides, the robbers didn't hurt anybody in the um, uh, in the commission of the robbery. I think that's a very important point. They robbed the Brinks. They didn't rob the local church. They went to a big company totally covered by insurance who should have known better than to let their place be robbed. So um, what was not to cheer from the, from the uh, public's point of view? Well,
0: it got so bad that one of the the big newspaper guys in the time, that was back in a time when Boston actually had newspapers and people read them, Stephanie. Yeah. It's a crazy thought. Right. But one of the guys had to write an article and say, just to remind you people, like, this was real money that belonged to companies that was going to people. It was payrolls. Right. And these guys stole it. Don't be so, like, oh, awesome, like, because it isn't awesome. Right, right.
1: Yeah, it, 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 is, it was a little bit like that. And I think people were just... I think they were amazed at the magnitude of the money. I mean, for them, as I said, a million dollars bought a lot in those days, and they thought in terms of uh, just how spectacular that amount of loot was. Um, and yeah, there were efforts by various people, various recolumnists to say, "Hey, guys, let's let's get a little real here. This is this is a crime. This really is a crime." Um, and it's interesting because the the crime itself, my my uh, view of it. Um, Started. It started out kind of as a lark, and it got increasingly darker and darker as the years went on. And in the course, it started out with no one being hurt. But by the end of the, uh, the by the time the actual robbers went to jail, there had been a number of murders in the wake of this robbery. And uh, uh, attempted and murders where guys out. were hiring hitmen. Murders, right. I mean, it's right. crazy. Hiring hitmen blowing up uh, Dorchester um, with the machine gun fire. So it it started off kind of bright and then turned a kind of a dark turn. Um, And that's why it's so, it's so fascinating. It's such a, it's, it's more than a robbery. It's more than a, this crime is more than a robbery. It's a look at the nature of people and the nature of loyalty um, and the nature of what drives people to do the things that they do. Yeah. the money
0: volume that we're talking about a little over a million dollars. It was, I think the Mm -hmm. biggest robbery up until that point was like 247,000. I think you write something like that. Yeah. So there was more than four times the size, but when it was done, Tony Pino, the mastermind, we think of the whole thing, Mm -hmm. he was kind of ticked off and disappointed in himself because (laughs) he'd been casing the thing for a year and he knew there were certain nights where there would be as much as $9 million in there. And he was ticked. They only got a million.
1: Right. Yeah. In fact, he considered it a disappointment afterwards because they were really after this box of cash that the um, General Electric plant had on the premises, but they couldn't get it open and they couldn't take the whole thing. So he went He went off thinking it was kind of a disappointment because he was looking for a really huge haul. But that's what's so funny about this. I think when the robbers uh, planned this out, they weren't thinking of committing the crime of the century. They were just thinking, there's a lot of money. We're going to go. We're going to get it. All will be well. Uh, I mean, the night before the robbery, um, two of the robbers, Stanley Gashora and uh, Specky O'Keefe, actually committed another robbery. They went and robbed a hotel, and Pino was furious at them. He says, "We're going to pull off this big heist tomorrow. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this robbery tonight?" And um, it's funny because you can read you can read about that robbery in the newspapers, and it wasn't tied together till much later. But it was like thieving was in their blood. They just could not. Stop themselves from doing it
0: because they were the. The irony is again, people were sort of rooting for these guys, but in reality, they were not only punks and degenerates, but they were bad guys.
1: Well, they were bad guys. I mean, they were a mixture of of, of different uh, kind of traits. I mean, they they're most many of them were married and were very devoted family men. Um, and i bit man interviewed a number of their their descendants or children who remember them as a very. Sandra Richardson's son remembers his father very very fondly. Um, and so they were a mixture of different characteristics. You know, my feeling about them is that they were probably smart people who had, uh, some of them had learning disabilities. I know that sounds kind of odd, but I think that they couldn't quite fit in in school, and yet they were very bright. So they had the brights to pull off robberies, but they didn't have the school smarts uh, to do anything um, the way in the educational world. So they were, uh, they were a mix of people. I mean, I, I, I it's hard to psychoanalyze them now, but um, they um, and they like the camaraderie of the robbing. They like they like being with other men. They like that feeling of pulling something off. Um, but they really hurt their families. Ultimately, they really hurt their families. Their, well, you mentioned their wives and their children.
0: You mentioned Specs O'Keefe, Specky O'Keefe, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. your book points out. It was the first place I'd ever seen. It. I always thought it was because of his glasses, but it turns out. He used to get free speckled bananas, bananas that were that's overripe. Yeah, and that's where the specks yeah, came from.
1: That's what uh, Tony Pino said, and he grew up with him, and so that's the origin of that story. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of mythology about the Brinks. I mean, things get uh, thrown around, and when I was doing my book, I was trying very hard to piece through that because, <clears throat> for example, the early reports on the on the um, the robbery—they were in the Globe, the Globe and the Herald, and the Post. We um, were filled with misinformation and filled with speculation. And that was, I, I won't say it was deliberate, but um, I got a chance to interview Ed Corsetti, who was a reporter uh, for the Record of American, I think, at the time. And he, he told me the editors got up on a chair, the editor got up in a chair in the newsroom and said, Guys, we want a story every day. I don't care where you get it, I don't care how you source it. We want, we need something in the paper, something big every single day. From here on till you know months later. So there was just so much that was uh, written about the and over the years, has been a lot written about it. And you know the, the the robbers themselves tell different stories about it. So it's a little hard to piece it all together, but that's what makes it interesting. and I mean, although it was they,
0: almost yeah, a perfect yeah. crime, it it also didn't go according to plan, even though they'd planned it. And actually, it turned right. out that January seventeenth, wasn't the first time they'd started to rob. Like, they'd set out on this a couple of times before, but the night they did it, only five guys were supposed to go into the vault, but seven guys ended up going in because in the moment, adrenaline's going and people aren't thinking and they forget where they're supposed to be, et cetera, and and things get confusing.
1: Right, I think uh, part of the problem probably was that they had rehearsed it so many times that when it got to the date, they were, like, kind of um, a little bit... uh, kind of hyped up about it. I mean, and they had discussed a lot of things like they had this one problem. They had the keys. Thanks to Tony Pina and Pino and his uh, lock, um, lock smithing ability. They had keys to all the doors between the Prince street exit and the actual vault room. So they could get in. There was one problem that was right at the end when there was a wire fence between them the, the robbers and the guards. And they would have to convince the guards to open up the door. And there's a lot of discussion. How were they going to do that? And they even thought about bringing in machine guns. Uh, and they decided not to do that because to be caught with a machine gun was, was not a good thing. So they knew that they had this one moment at the end where they'd have to put their guns out and convince the guards to open up the doors or um, they would have to, Jazz Matthew would have to climb up over the vault and it would, get, would have gotten really messy. But... For whatever reason, the guards opened up the door, and so then they were able to sort of pull things off very quickly. But um, they were even interrupted. Uh, Someone buzzed to get in, and they were kind of freaked out about that, but they just laid low, and the guy buzzed to get in. And then when nobody let him in, he just went away and had his lunch. Um, So there there were a lot of weird quirks with that. And The other thing was Specs dropped his hat. That's not what he was supposed to do. He dropped his hat in the robbery. Although, so, in reality, um, that, that never did lead yeah. to anything,
0: mm-hmm. it turns it turns out. That was just something that they wrote a lot about because it was one of the few things you had to hold exactly.
1: on to. Exactly. Yeah, there was only a little bit of evidence. One was the hat, one was the rope, and one was the tape. And they struggled to find anything they could about those items that were left there. I mean, the robbers wore uh, gloves. They had soft sole shoes. They got cleanly away, except. You know, there were blockades all over the place, but they managed to get away very quickly. So um, it was like they vanished into thin air. Um, so that, again, added to the mystery, and there were so many people saying that hat was left for a reason. Um, they also swept up um, the some of the glasses. When they tied up the guards, they took off their glasses, and afterwards some of the glasses had disappeared, and they thought that was another clue. But um, uh, unfortunately... Uh, it was not. It was just the way that this uh, this uh, robbery was pulled off. And I think the guys, like I said, I don't think they realized that they pulled off such a, uh, that they were going to get that much publicity. They just imagine, thought they were doing a big robbery.
0: Imagine if there was five yeah. million in there that night instead of one million. I mean, it would have been even hotter.
1: It would have been. It would have been a bigger crime. But you know, in the end, I'm not sure it would have made much difference. Um, first of all, they had to make sure they, that they split up. They had to take out money in which the serial numbers were known. And after the robbery, they knew the serial numbers of a number of the bills, and those numbers were posted all over Boston, so people were looking for it. Um, and that was the when they found money in uh, some years later, uh, just before the trial. It was that money with the serial numbers that had been buried, but someone had probably Joe McGinnis had dug it up and thought he'd make some money off the money. But even if they'd gotten a lot more money. They might not have been able to spend it. And even if they got it, they didn't know what to do with it. They, 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 they had at least $100,000 each. With exception of uh, maybe Tony Pino, who bought a house, and Vinny Costa bought some land, they, they've they repeatedly said they just spent it, spent it on bad investment, spent it on, I think, uh, a commentator in one of the story they spent – they spent it on gambling, women, and booze, and the rest they just squandered, which I think is a great line.
0: <laughs> it is, again, um, the, one of the big questions always is whatever happened to the money because they didn't recover much of it. Yeah. You think it's just yeah, it, it was, was just
1: gone. It was like gone, and people for years have been looking for it. But I, I would like to think that it, there's a cash somewhere of, of extremely moldy bills by now uh, – running away, but, but rusting away, but we don't know. The only thing I'll tell you, and this is a funny story. After I published my book, I got, a, um, one of the, one of my friends had said, um, to me when I was right, when I was writing the book, she said, I know where the money is. It's buried on mission Hill and I'll take you to the neighborhood. Cause we all grew up saying that there was the Brinks money was there and we went there and there was nothing there. But then I realized that jazz Maffey's parents lived in that neighborhood, and the money was brought there the night of the crime, and it was divided up there. So the money was actually in that neighborhood, but it's been taken away. Then I got a call after the book gets published, one woman who said, oh, I grew up in the neighborhood. The Jazz Matthews' parents used to go bury, they buried coins from the robbery in their backyard, and we kids used to go in there and dig it up. So you have this urban legend about the money being in a neighborhood, and it turns out to have a little bit of truth. And for all I know, there's still coins from the Brinks robbery buried in that neighborhood somewhere.
0: Well, in the end, I guess my last question for you, Stephanie Shiro is when you write a book like this and there's so many things you flesh out and so many things you go, nah, that's not true, that is true, I wish I knew this one. <laughs> right. What's the one thing, if I could wave a magic wand, say, Stephanie, I will answer that question for you about the Brinks robbery. What's the one question you would more than any would want to know?
1: I would like to know what happened to Stanley Gashore's money because he didn't have it. He did hide it somewhere. And... He died before the trial, and he, he had last rites by a, a priest. And I've always wondered if that priest, he whispered to that priest while he was dying, getting around, where his money was, and that's who got it in the end, and it went to the church.
0: It happened 70 years ago today, to huh? I mean, just, just it's hard to think about it. Like It just wasn't that long ago, but man, has the
1: world changed. Well, you'll never have a Brinks robbery again. The reason being, that was a time of a cash society. Today, it's all by wire. I mean, I don't even carry cash anymore. I have all my cards with me. But in those days, it was all cash all the time. And people who got paychecks, what they would get is an envelope with cash in it. So a tremendous amount of uh, cash was moving around the city at the time. You You don't have that now, so you won't have it again. And I don't think... Um, I think if it was an armed robbery, they'd be more likely to be violent. Um, I think the guys were, they didn't want to hurt anybody.
0: And they didn't. Uh, They were willing
1: to, but they didn't want to. And I'm wondering if that's changed today as well.
0: Stephanie Chereau, always good to talk to you. It's been too long. Let's talk again soon. I could talk to you about this for
1: hours. Great to talk to you. Great to talk to
0: you as well. The book is called The Crime of the Century. How the Brinks robbers stole millions and the hearts of Boston. There's a lot of books out about the Brinks job. This is the one that I like. I just think it's so great. There's so many cool pictures in there. The guy that pulled it off, Lightning, Tony Pino, every picture of him, he's just, he's got this big bleep eating grin on his face. He was just sort of a rascal criminal. And, he was just always laughing and making people laugh, according to her, and and the pictures back it up. He's just a he is a character. Peter Falk played him in the movie The Brinks Job. If anyone saw that, but happened seventy years ago today, nineteen fifty, the Great Brinks Robbery, right here in Boston. All right, let's take a take a, t- a time out. We come back. Lightning. How about a flash? Yeah. Good. We'll do it when we return. Right here on RKO. VB in the middle.
1: WRKL. With the lucky slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.